What is up, y'all? I'm Cordell. Welcome to the Upward Acts Podcast, where we give you the tools, insights, and techniques to help you deliberately enter an upward spiral of well-being. Today, we'll be talking about mastery and optimal experience. How do you really get deeply engaged in what you're doing, and how do you use that to become an expert at anything at all? I'm going to really break it down for y'all, so don't go anywhere. So today we're talking about mastery and optimal experience, and this happens to be the episode on flow, which is going to be a lot of what we're talking about today, Um, but I decided to blend this episode on flow with an episode idea on deliberate practice or how to become really, really good at anything that you want. Um, During my graduate studies, which I'll talk about in a moment, I was really interested in the two of these things, and I've come to understand them as two sides of the same coin. I haven't really seen in a lot of places these two things being put together in this way that I'm about to share, so I'm actually really excited for this particular podcast. I think it's going to add a lot to people's understanding of how to get better at anything, and this is really anything. I don't care whether you're a surfer or a painter or a coach or a musician like myself. Like These processes are always going to show up as long as you have a mind and you're interested in developing in a certain way, uh, these are going to be extremely relevant for you. Um, So before I break down flow, before I break down what I mean by deliberate practice, I just kind of want to point out again from a developmental perspective that we need to get competent at something. It's not just some pie in the sky, up in the air, like maybe eventually I'll master something if I feel like it. It becomes something that you crave, that you need after you've got all of your basic needs met. It is very, very, very human. DC and Ryan have some psychological needs, um, which are really, really big in the field of positive psychology. You got autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And competence is really kind of uh, the path towards mastery. You gotta get good at something. You have to feel like the things that you're doing are actually making an impact on the people around you and the world around you and whatever medium you're interested in working with. Uh, it's just really, really, really important for higher levels of well-being and for more advanced stages of development. We have to build skills. That's just, that's the human way. That's how we do things for whatever reason. Again, this would be in the developmental space of self-actualization. So mastery and competence isn't going to be extremely important for you if you're very, very hungry, or if your life is being threatened and you're about to die, you don't really care about being the number one most competent at running when running is what you're doing to survive from something really dangerous. You're just worried about survival. Um, But as we meet these basic needs and these really uh, physical necessities that our body demands, we begin to have these growth needs, right? These are the needs that really drive a lot of our advanced stages of development, which is what I love to talk about. Um, And it's really important to understand how to become competent at something. It turns out uh, there are ways to practice imperfectly. You might have heard the old adage, uh, practice makes perfect. I know when I was uh, training 
musician very early on, some of my coaches would say perfect practice makes perfect. Uh, just because there's ways to practice where it actually doesn't advance your skills very much, which will break down. Um, and it turns out there's ways to practice that can actually make you worse. Uh, it's pretty rare, but it is definitely a thing. So today we're going to talk about how to get really good at anything at all. Um, and then we're going to pair that with the psychology of what happens while you're getting good at something, which is flow. It's getting a lot more popular, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you might have heard of flow. It's a psychological state of optimal experience, and it was really brought into the forefront of psychological research by a man named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, um, who I am an extremely big fan of. I was a huge fan of his in undergrad, and I actually got to study with him in graduate school at Claremont. Um, so I've taken several classes directly with him, had conversations with him about a lot of these topics and about how they relate to a lot of the work that I do with taking people outdoors and coaching and things along those lines. So I'm pretty deep into this particular space of psychology, which is partly why I'm so excited to share all of this with you is because it's been so integral to my work and my personal life for so long. I think it's just one of the most valuable things people could know about their minds. Um, so we're going to talk about flow and then we're going to talk about deliberate practice which has been researched for years and years and years by a man named Anders Ericsson, who's kind of one of the foremost leaders in studying mastery and people that are expert performers. And he has been really important for helping people understand what experts are doing, like Olympians and famous musicians and things like that. What are they doing to get so damn good? And how can we use whatever they're doing um, in the rest of our lives so that the rest of us can get really good? And it turns out they, Csikszentmihalyi and Erickson, both found these particular principles and these particular necessary preconditions uh, that leads to a specific type of behavior and a specific type of experience um, that really is enjoyable. Flow is literally called optimal experience, so it just feels really good. Um, and effective. Deliberate practice is the only way that you can become an expert. You've literally never heard of an expert at anything that has never gotten deep into deliberate practice. It doesn't matter what you're doing either. Like you can get into flow and you can deliberately practice almost any conceivable activity. Um, and those two processes will lead you towards competence and mastery and ultimately will be a huge tool in your tool belt towards self-actualization and beyond. So let's break this down. I kind of just gave a quick definition of flow. It is a psychological state. There's other ways to talk about it, but today we'll be talking about it as a psychological state. And hopefully most of you are familiar with it at least a bit in a sense, uh, just because like I said, it's one of the most enjoyable psychological states that we've got. So you'll know you're in flow when time starts to become very weird. Um, sometimes it goes by really fast, sometimes it goes by really slow. Um, and you feel like everything is happening effortlessly, where just everything just kind of unfolds and it's the right thing to do. And uh, 
you're just really, really involved and engaged. So for some people, this happens when you're having conversations. For me, it happens every moment I'm writing music. Surfing is a really big one. Every single sport can get people into flow. It's often called getting into the zone. Uh, Csikszentmihalyi was studying creative geniuses for a very long time, and that's kind of how he began to discover this universal psychological process, is because all of these different creative geniuses he was interviewing, whether they were chess players or Nobel laureates or painters, they all kept describing this feeling they would get when they were deep in their activity. And some of them even used the language flow over and over. I was just flowing. I was just going with that flow. Uh, and so he just kind of coined the term and then started studying this almost exclusively for a very long time and helped to start the field of positive psych and got lots of other people involved. And so this has been pretty deeply studied now. There's tons more to learn, of course, but we're pretty deep in the game at this point. And what we've found is that anybody can get into this flow. People used to think for a long time that you needed to be graced by the gods or you needed to be born a certain way um, to kind of get in the zone, as athletes often call it. Uh, but it turns out, like we're going to talk about today, if you kind of set yourself up for success in a few different ways um, and you stick to it, anybody can get into flow. Um, and I'll break down exactly how that works. Uh, but before I do that, I want to describe deliberate practice, which was being studied about the same time as a lot of this flow and creativity research, but from the perspective of just expert performances. So a lot of athletic type of things and a lot of musicianship and just tons of other ways where people are professionally just experts at what they're doing. Anders Ericsson actually kind of discovered what all of these different experts were doing that were setting them apart from people who didn't become full experts. And he called it deliberate practice. And there's a few different ways to practice. You've got your regular old practice. Um, you've got purposeful practice. Today we're going to be talking about deliberate practice, which involves several specific skills and several specific ways that you are engaging with your activity that's going to set you up for success and for continued expertise development. And it turns out, after studying flow for a long time and studying deliberate practice for a long time, they overlap almost perfectly and it's beautiful, which makes a lot of sense <laughs> as we break it down. I don't think anyone will be particularly surprised, but I think it's really valuable to pair these two ideas together. One is very practical, one is very psychological, but they really work together in a kind of body-mind way to understand how, like I said, to master any type of field, which is pretty valuable. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in becoming more competent. So I don't want to take all day. Let's just break this down real quick. I'll hit you with all of the different aspects you need to deliberately practice. I'll share with you how all of these things factor into getting into a flow state, um, and then I'll send you on your way to flow it up in whatever way you see fit. So one of the most important parts of deliberate practice is developing what's known as a mental model of whatever your activity is. There are these things called schemas that cognitive psychologists will use to describe how our minds work on a cognitive level. Basically, we have these maps of how everything works, right? When I say cat, you have a model in your mind of what a cat is. It's got fur, it's about this size, it makes this sound, and that's how you understand what a cat is. We have these schemas for everything that you can imagine. And what's really relevant for right now is we have the schema or mental model of whatever activity we're doing. So let's say tennis. All of us have a mental model of how tennis works. Some of us have a more sophisticated and in-depth and detailed mental model than others. And it turns out as you deliberately practice, a huge part of that in order to get 
towards expertise a lot further is to continue to develop this mental model, um, which again makes a lot of sense on the surface, but this kind of gets into the differences between just practicing and deliberate practice. You can just hit a ball over a net over and over and over again, or you can develop the way you understand how the ball goes over the net and how you interact with the ball. You can create a model inside your mind of how tennis works, and again this works with any activity, uh, to really begin to understand it more deeply. And this can be both on a cognitive level, but also on a physical level. There's this thing called embodied cognition, uh, which is really, really cool when it comes to different activities. You're, I talked about this in um, the Emotions podcast just a bit, that your body has tons of wisdom deep inside. And your body turns out it's also learning along with your mind. Um, there's a lot of different studies and a lot of different ways to talk about this, which I don't have time to go into right now, but your body will actually develop a mental model in a sense. So as you play tennis, your body will get comfortable holding the racket, it'll get comfortable moving across the court in different ways, um, and that's a part of your mental model. When you pair that with your cognitive schemas, you actually just understand whatever your activity is on a much deeper level, both with explicit content knowledge and with embodied interaction and understanding of how this activity works. And this is one of the most important parts of deliberate practice. In a sense, this is what you're doing. <laughs> like you're just building a mental model, both physically and cognitively. And from a coaching perspective, whether I'm coaching music or coaching positive psychology like I am with this podcast, that's kind of one of my main focuses, is how do I get my participant or my client or my student to develop a deeper mental model. And ostensibly, that's what you're doing with this podcast, at least on a cognitive level. I don't know how physically engaged you're getting with this podcast, but these ideas and these concepts are helping you develop a deeper mental model of flow and deliberate practice and optimal experience and all the other topics we've gone over. And it's really, really important if you want to master anything. you got to know your craft. You need to know exactly what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. And the more you understand these things deeply, the better you are at doing those things. You talk to any expert about the finer details of what they're doing, and they can get really, really sophisticated with how they understand it. And sometimes it's so sophisticated they can't even articulate it. Sometimes that goes down to embodied cognition. There just aren't words. I just, the paintbrush just flows, or I just rock this surfboard and my body just knows what to do. Um, and sometimes, you know, you have really, really sophisticated vocabulary and jargon that it really doesn't help if you don't already have the mental model developed. You just use random words. Those are some examples of some pretty deep, sophisticated mental models that you find from experts. Now, it turns out building these mental models takes a ton of energy. Like, becoming an expert is more than just getting the reps in, right? Just shooting the basketball over and over again or just surfing a thousand waves. Um, it takes more than just doing the activity. You got to build these mental models as well. And so it just takes lots of time and energy and consideration. And this is where the 10,000 hours rule comes from that Malcolm Gladwell uh, kind of popularized. He actually got that 10,000 hours rule from Anders Ericsson's work on deliberate practice, which was taken way out of context. I got to debunk it real quick. The 10,000 hours came from a very specific study, and it was an arbitrary cutoff for how many hours a group of musicians played before they got accepted into a really prestigious music program. 
And that wasn't even to become an expert. It was just who was more likely to get chosen to be brought into this program. So to become like a top tier expert, you'll likely need way more than 10,000 hours. And the number of hours will probably vary depending on your body and the activity that you're doing and tons of other factors. So it's kind of unhelpful in that it's one, really arbitrary, and two, probably not very accurate. But it is a helpful meme in a sense just because it helps people understand just how much effort it takes to become an expert in something, right? 10,000 just sounds like a very big number and it likely takes way more than that. And tons of those hours are going straight into just building mental models. It's a huge part of every deliberate practice. So it's going to take tons of time just to develop these mental models, both cognitively, content knowledge, and to get that embodied cognition going on, right? Get the muscle memory and get engaged with all of this stuff, which is why it takes, you know, years and years and years and years to become a true expert at anything. So that's one of the first things you need to understand for deliberate practice, is you're just constantly learning about your activity and your craft. And this is where it can interact with flow right away is part of flow that's really important to get really deeply engaged with something is you want some intrinsic motivation. So it turns out it's really hard to get deeply engaged in flow, like the psychological state of optimal experience where you're just really aligned with what you're doing and it's unfolding very naturally and effortlessly. It's really hard to get into that mindset if you really don't want to do what you're doing. If you're not motivated to do it, or if your motivation is coming outside of you, right? So it's coming from like pressure by your parents or your boss or even your broader culture. If it's not coming from a deep intrinsic motivation, it can be done, but it's very, very difficult. So if you want to develop this mental model really, really deeply all the way towards expertise, you got to do it with something that you care about, that you really, really want to do. And this motivation can come from a lot of places, um, but just to gloss over where you might get this intrinsic motivation from, you can check out the mindfulness episode or even the positive emotions episode for understanding how to really clue in to your motivations. And those are going to come from these growth needs that we were talking about. Everybody's got them. So you definitely have something you're intrinsically motivated to do. It's just a matter of investigating and putting yourself in situations that will help elicit these motivations. And you pay attention to those and you'll start to recognize people are, you specifically, are drawn towards certain things. Um, and many of those things can get you in the flow, and many of those things it's valuable to become an expert in. So it really finds that intrinsic motivation, and it'll help you find what's known as an autotelic activity. Um, autotelic just means done for its own sake. Um, the whole goal of the activity is itself. So music is just the perfect example of an autotelic activity, uh, because people do music for music. Now occasionally there are people that do music, I don't know, to find a partner or to get lots of money and things like that, in which case it would be considered extrinsic motivators. Those are rarely the type of people that become deep extreme experts. The people who are insane are ones that do music because they want to do music, right? I'm listening to this song because I want to listen to this song. Um, it's not to get to the end of the song or to listen to the most albums, 
right? And you can do that with any activity, right? I keep using these examples of surfing or playing chess. Nobody plays chess to be done with playing chess. You play chess to enjoy the activity of playing chess. And when you can find out which activities are autotelic for you, because they could be different for different people, um, those are likely the things that you're intrinsically motivated to do, which will have enough psychic energy for you to devote to developing these intense mental models. One more thing that's really important for developing these mental models uh, is your mindset. Now, I could do an entire episode on mindsets alone. I might do that in the future. But for now, I just want to break down these two particular mindsets. Um, one is a growth mindset and one is a fixed mindset. These are really popular nowadays in education because the studies are staggering. When you think that you can grow in a certain way, you're much more likely to grow in that way. And when you think that you can't grow in a certain way, you're very likely to stay where you're at. So this happens in school a lot. For example, with mathematics, a lot of people think, oh, I'm just not a math person, I just can't do math. And their idea of their math skills are fixed. Whereas some people consider themselves and their abilities, and they'll think, well, I'm not good at this particular math problem yet, or I haven't really learned these particular skills yet, and there's this space for growth that's left into how they understand themselves. And this growth mindset is going to be necessary for building these mental models, both cognitively and physically. So if you want to become a tennis expert, but you have this idea that I can't run faster or I can't get more accuracy with the racket or something along those lines, you're not going to get better, at least not as fast as you would if you had a growth mindset. And this really just comes down to how you explain your own abilities, both where they're at and where they can go. For the most part, a really good rule of thumb is that you can change and grow. That's the whole point of everything that I do. And I don't think you'd be listening to this podcast if you thought otherwise. But it's really important to note that if you're going to build these mental models and become an expert at anything, you need to have this mindset of, I can grow, and if I don't have these skills, it's because I just haven't developed them yet. That doesn't mean I can't do it. Right? That's really going to help you push through the effort and the difficulty of developing these mental models towards mastery in any field. <laughs>